Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. So if you do not, do not know me, my name's Calvin. Uh, I'm the former associate pastor here. Um, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just getting called in to like fill in the gaps, I guess, um, uh, before we head into our, our uh, Christmas season. Um, a minor perspective. Well, you can probably take that title two ways this evening. Um, since I'm not employed here anymore, maybe my opinion and my perspective doesn't really matter that much anymore. So it's just a, just a, little, just a, little, bit, just a little bit minor. Um, or you might assume that we're talking about one of the minor prophets. So either, either option's fine. I'm, I'm cool with it. But I, before we crack into it, why don't I just open up uh, with a karakia? My Lord and my God, I know that you are here and that you are with us. We ask, Lord, that you would come and meet us in the busyness of our weeks, um, in the uncertainty of our uh, job situations, um, in the messiness of life, um, and that, Lord, you would just come and you would grant us your peace. Surround us with your peace. Surround us with your love. Lord, as we lean into the scriptures this evening, we pray that you would um, open up uh, your story to us in, in new and compelling ways. And Lord, that this, this narrative that you are writing, this, this narrative that you have always been writing, um, will continue to take uh, a hold of us in, in, uh, in deeper and more profound ways. So, Lord, we trust that you will come and do a good work in us this evening. Amen. All right, guys, well, tonight I'm just going to level with you a little bit about where I'm at. Um, sometimes when I'm meeting with people, I talk about the table of trust. Um, I don't really know like a, a T word for, for us, but, you know, but we'll, but we'll just be a will be a church of trust this evening. Um, I want to let you know that I've, I've actually found this year really hard. Um, and in particular, I found faith really hard. I found it really hard to feel like God is close, like God loves me, sometimes even like God is, is even real. Um, it's just been really hard. And uh, I think there's a few reasons for that. Um, I feel like, a, I feel like a, a fatigue in my bones. I feel bone tired. Um, part of that might just be becoming a new parent. Um, <clears throat> part of it might be the fact that there's a global pandemic going on and uh, we've been trying to figure out how to like work from home or maybe we've been wrestling with a little bit of, the, a little bit of guilt that like life feels a little bit normal while the rest of the world is still still dealing with this thing that, you know, uh, in America and Europe now, there are, just, there are just more and more cases each and every day. This thing isn't going away. People's lives have been uprooted and ruined. Um, and, you know, for me, I'm getting stressed about, man, how do I do my job behind a computer screen in case we go back into another lockdown? Did anyone find that just really hard? Yeah, yeah. It's not a holiday, level four, level three. Level three again, like you know, like it's not a holiday. There's a there's a fatigue that comes into that. Um, I found it a really strange year, just around like 
like politics, you know? You know, we had our own stuff here, but also just sort of the whole narrative around what's been going on in the States around that. Um, and one of the things I think I've found really hard is that, is that I've struggled to associate myself as a Christian with a lot of the cultural Christianity that I see around me. It's one of the things that I've like really struggled to reconcile with. And it's like, man, we share this label, but there is such a diverse range of, of opinions and beliefs and ways of, of being faithful and, and being in a relationship with God. Um, you know, over two and a half billion people in this world, over, I think, just in the Protestant, in the Protestant uh, you know, wing of the church, over 35,000, you know, different denominations, um, you know. But, you know, like I've said before, at least we've figured it out. You know, at least we're doing it right or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I've just, I've just found this, like, this cultural Christianity thing uh, really tricky. And in particular, like, a medium where I found that really hard is, is Facebook. I ended up just, at one point I was just sitting on Facebook and I was like, man, this honestly feels like smoking. I felt like I was just scrolling through this thing every day and there's just so much drivel right? Just, you know, just people arguing over stuff that is just really, like, really inconsequential, like misinformation flying everywhere, all sorts of things. And I just find myself like, oh, I'm sucked in each and every day. Does anyone do that thing where you, like, type a comment out and then you, like, go, I'm just not, not going to send this and you just backspace it, but then you, like, stew on it? <laughs> it kind of, like, festers in your soul. Anyway, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really dragging this thing out. Um, <clears throat> All of that to say, it's like, man, I, I had to get off. I couldn't deal with it anymore. But I've just, really for me, one of the things that's been incredibly difficult is I've just found faith really hard. And any time I've, I've tried to make these earnest attempts to sort of press back in, it's like, well, what are the things? What are you supposed to do? Well, are you doing your daily, daily quiet time? You know, are you listening to worship on the way to work? You know, are you praying? It's like, yeah, man, you know, I try those things. But it's like, it's just felt really hard. And, and it's funny for me, like, if I had to reflect on the last year, if I had to look for a moment where I've, I feel like I've heard the audible voice of God or if I've had some sort of deep Holy Spirit sense, there's only one thing that I've got, one thing. And it's like, Calvin, read the book of Amos. <sighs> Amos sucks just to read. And I'll tell you why, because uh, honestly, it's, it's actually a book I love, but but it's really hard because you open it up and what you're met with on the very first pages is, for, for starters, a humanity that is not particularly attractive. We're talking stories of rape. We're talking stories of incest. We're talking stories of violence, of genocide. These are not nice things. This is not a humanity I find particularly attractive. And so even as I consider already my own sort of dissatisfaction with humanity as a whole, it's like, well, look, well, there's just us at our worst. You know, it feels completely barbaric. And so I don't feel compelled towards that version of humanity as well. But the other thing I find really hard in Amos is that God's not particularly appealing to me there either. That, also, that version or that understanding or that recollection of God, that encounter of God feels very, very violent and angry and, and so disconnected from my experience of God is love. So it's, God, why aren't you taking me towards the scriptures that talk about how much you love me? <laughs> why, aren't you taking, you know, why aren't you taking me towards the stories that fill me with the warm fuzzies or whatever? It's just, it, it, it was, 
it's just about the same. But Calvin read Amos. It's like, all right, well, I resisted it for a long time, and eventually I sat down and and I ended up just sort of pressing my way through Amos. And I want to share a little bit. And maybe maybe do you know what this is? Maybe here's us, thirty people in a room, and you guys just get to hear me air my laundry a little bit as I sort of figure out really what what God's doing in me. And might, like maybe there's a little takeaway for you. Um, but hey, great. Is everyone okay to just come on that with me a little bit? <laughs> we just work these things out together a little bit. So yeah, here it is, this invitation to read Amos. Um, very quickly, for those of you who may not know, um, Amos uh, was an 8th century BCE prophet. He was one of what's called the minor prophets. He never called himself that, just so you know, that's a name that came into play when the theologian Augustine was sort of writing about the Old Testament. He sort of grouped all of these prophets together. But um, Amos is actually probably one of the oldest prophets that we have um, the sort of recordings of. So even though he's the third in the list of the minor prophets. He, his, his writings were actually the oldest. Um, he was a prophet during um, the time, basically a time of pretty intense civil unrest in Israel, just after, um, uh, under the reign of, of, of King uh, Jeroboam. Um, did I say that right? I'm sure I said it wrong. Someone correct me. No? Okay, good. Um, <clears throat> Uh, so Israel's gone through this, basically this split. There's got a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom, and um, there's a lot. There's actually, there's a whole bunch of battles, not so much like trying to take back the land, but right across the border, there's a whole bunch of, basically Israelites just killing each other over land. Real cool. Um, so, you know, God's people just hating on one another. Once again, not a particularly like compelling picture of humanity in that sense. So here comes Amos. In this time of civil unrest, when there's all this sort of stuff going on, and Amos as a, pro- as a prophet is particularly annoyed with the inequality and the injustice that he sees around him, this increasing injustice, this increasing inequality. And for him, it's like, uh, you know, he, he is compelled to, to carry that uh, uh, that message of God's to the people of Israel. And so Amos wants to, wants to uh, as a prophet, wants to awaken people to this reality that exists in their midst. In their midst. Um, the Hebrew word for justice is uh, mishpat. Everyone say that with me. Mishpat. Mishpat. It's always cool, eh, when you can pull out a little Hebrew word. Um, Now, you could interpret the Hebrew word uh, mishpat as sort of a a retributive justice. You know, if like I take something from you, if I commit a crime, then there's a punishment I have to go through. But actually, that's not the way it's used throughout the scriptures. Actually, justice is this thing that that really comes into play. Mishpat comes into play right, right at the story of Abraham. And as God sets Abraham apart, he calls he calls Abraham to embody a restorative justice, meaning that that everyone is drawn back into the reality that we see in the Genesis garden, in the Genesis creation story, in the Garden of Eden right at the very beginning, that humanity would be the divine image bearer walking in partnership with each other and with God. And that this is the, this is the, the truth of every human, that they are made in the image of God, that they are divinely breathed into by God. 
and that there is this, this equality, this mutuality that exists. And so humanity uh, in this sort of creation of cities and the establishment of tribes and um, in, the way they, in the way they live life, in this sort of taking of land and of, of agriculture and all these sorts of things, you see injustice begin to creep in, the opposite of mishpat. And so mishpat is about returning to that. It is about restoring dignity to people. It is about restoring equality. It is about bringing people back into the true story, um, the deep-seated reality that you are a divine image bearer. That is what Amos is concerned with. And so we see this like push towards mishpat in his writing. Now, <clears throat> now for Amos, as he's, as he's challenging this thing, as he's, as he's putting this thing out there, um, he, he is establishing pretty firmly that this is not just an Israel story. This is not just a thing for the Hebrew people. This is something that relates to all of creation. This is something that relates to all of humanity. And that, and that for, for him, and, and in terms of carrying God's message, what he is saying is that God is absolutely livid about the injustice that's taking place across his creation. And so Amos looks to tackle this problem of injustice and inequality um, in a very particular way. And I want to take us just through it a little bit. We're not going to read through the book of Amos tonight. Don't worry, I'm not going to put you through that. But it may be something that you may want to go away and read because it is, it's pretty intense. Um, but I just want to give you a little bit of an idea of what it is that he looks to do. So, so how does Amos tackle this issue of injustice. Well, one of the things that he starts off with in, in, uh, in the very first chapter is, is he begins to establish all the things that God is angry with, not with the people of Israel, but with, with all these other people groups. So it's like these people committed rape. These people are killing pregnant women um, and the children inside of them. These people are you know, committing incest. These people are committing genocide. And he says, God is furious. And because of that, God's not going to hold back punishment from them, not going to hold back punishment. And what Amos is doing here is utilizing a literary technique that kind of leans into, I don't know, humanity's deepest desire to, uh, I don't know, other themselves from other people, if that makes sense. So there's a way, there's a way in sort of reading this and sort of hearing this, you would be listening to those things going, yeah, that's right. Those people are awful. They deserve that. That's absolutely awful. And then, then he turns it on Israel. And this is what you guys have done. This is what you have done to perpetuate injustice and inequality and brokenness around you. This is how you have broken down God's creation and, and, and God's intent for creation. This is what you have done. Interestingly enough, this is a literary technique that you'll see utilized by Paul in the letter to the Romans, right? So next time you read Romans, just be aware, you work through chapter one, all of these things, all of these lists of sins, these, these naughty things you're not allowed to do, it's actually, it's actually written to a predominantly Jewish audience. So what happens is it's listing all these things, these bad things that the Gentiles do. But then it gets to chapter 2, and it's like, but you, you Jewish folk, you're completely self-righteous. You're acting like you've got it all figured out, and that's a sin also. And so he, he, you know, he, this literary device kind of draws people in, and then it sort of serves as a mirror that is held up to yourself. 
And this is, what the, this is what the prophet Amos does. In fact, this is what many of the prophets do. They look to hold a mirror up so that um, the, the, the people hearing would recognize themselves in what they see around them. Because so often, we love to paint ourselves in a particular light. Anyone here retell a story from your life, but you kind of make yourself like a, just, just a little more glowing, you know? Like maybe it's a story of like being in the car and uh, you're driving, and then like there's a near miss, but then when you retell the story, it's like definitely 100%, absolutely the other person's fault completely. But was it? Anyone? Just me. I'm a dishonest person, I guess. Far out. <clears throat> it's all coming out in the wash, eh? Whew. <clears throat> so this is the thing. This is the thing that Amos seeks to do. He looks to hold a mirror up to the people of Israel. And so, so he exposes this sort of, this othering, this tendency to, to put things on other groups of people and say, well, that's them over there, but that's not us. He, he really looks to break that down. And then the second thing he looks to do is, is he looks to expose that self-righteousness that is at the heart of this people group. And in fact, um, he, uh, in Amos 5, uh, verses 21 to 24, it says this, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, the, to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. All of the systems, all of the rituals, all of the things that, that are put in place, if you have studied the, um, uh, the Torah at all, you know, the first five books of the Scriptures, and you look at all the rules um, that Israel were to follow so that they would be set apart as God's people from the rest of the world, basically what God is saying through Amos here is this, I'm not interested in them, if you aren't embodying justice and restoration and wholeness and community and beauty and goodness and all these things, if you aren't living in a particular way, those rituals mean nothing. They're not the things that set you apart. They're not the things that make you a righteous person. Embodying justice is. And so until justice flows like waters and, rivers and righteousness like a stream... Those rituals mean absolutely nothing. Um, going on into uh, Amos 6, uh, uh, verse 12, uh, it says this, uh, Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow, through, uh, plow there with oxen? You have turned justice into poison and fruit of righteousness into wormwood. And so what he's saying is that, you know, these rituals, this way you're being, this, this little life that you have, have crutched yourself upon as being, as being one of sort of for God and about God and we're the chosen ones and all this. Actually, it's just rocky terrain. There's nothing fruitful that can come from that. There's no way horses can run on that. You can't plant seeds there. You can't do anything with that. What you have done is you've turned justice, these things you're supposed to be about, you've turned it into poison and the fruit of the righteousness into wormwood. It's like these things that you were supposed to be about, they don't exist. And so even the way you talk or the things you do, it's just... It's become toxic, and not just toxic for other people, but it becomes a toxin for yourself. There's no meaningful fruit happening in your own life. And so Amos just comes, comes down incredibly hard on these things. And so there is, in the midst of this, this, uh, th these writings, a call towards this restorative justice, towards this 
towards this mishpat. And there's a few things that uh, Amos looks to do um, that are really significant. And the first thing I want to I want to show you uh, is this, because the, one of the main things he looks to do through his writings is to recalibrate the narrative as a story for all of humanity. So there's this tiny little scripture in Amos chapter 9, uh, verse 7, and it says this, Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt? Who, who, who has heard that story? Anyone heard that story? Just checking. It's a Bible test. Which book is it in? Just checking. Oh, my, Michael? <laughs> the Bible. It's, a, it's, in the, it's in the book of Exodus. Yeah, so we know that story. What about this one? Um, so did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Captor? Who knows that one? That's not in the Bible. Interesting. Okay. Um, uh, and the Syrians from Kerr. Where in the Bible are the Syrians raised up from oppression in the land of, in, in Kerr? We don't know that one either, Right? What's fascinating about this single verse is it shows us that God has been in the liberation of oppressed people, I don't know, all over the world. There are other stories of liberation that exist in other cultures and other times that we don't know about. The first one, the Israel from the land of Egypt, we know that one because that is the... You know, that's one of the sort of the kernels of, of our tradition, of what we know. But there are these other liberation stories. And what it suggests to us is that God is less interested in the rituals that you're living and more interested in what you are doing to perpetuate justice and righteousness around you. God is a God of the oppressed. And so this is the thing Amos points us towards. This is a, is, is a narrative for humanity, and justice is to be extended to all corners of creation. The other thing that happens through Amos that I think, that I think um, you know, God is looking to do is to, is to anchor the importance of a knowing of self. So one of the things that comes through, and even not just in Amos, but in a lot of the prophets, is a lot of the times they start off by saying, you have forgotten you have forgotten that you were raised from the land of Egypt. You have forgotten that you were delivered to the promised land. You have forgotten the story of liberation. And when you forget, forget, you run the risk of perpetuating the same systems of injustice, the same systems of brokenness, the same systems of oppression. And that is what Israel does. And that is how Israel ends up in the mess it does. And that is how it ends up ultimately back in exile. And so this is the warning. So there's an an important reminder here to always know yourself. Always know your story. Always know where you've come from. You have to be able to carry that story because it grounds you in a sense of humility. And so there's this final call that, that sort of comes through a reading of the text, you know, for me, and that is that it is so critically important that, that the faith, our faithfulness to God looks like an embodying of that restorative justice, of that mishpat, that if we aren't advocates for it, then we are complicit in the ongoing injustices around us. This, I think, 
is not just something that happens in Amos. I think it is mirrored through the prophets. Anytime Israel got itself caught up in a cycle of oppression, of perpetuating injustice, God raised up people to say, this is not what your narrative is about, and this is not what God is about. Really succinctly, I think, you know, anyone, anyone have like Micah 6.8 as one of their like life verses? Yes, absolutely, right? So simple and so, and so, and so uh, beautiful. Um, <clears throat> that's not even where we are. Look at that. Man, I never follow my slides at all. Um, <clears throat> Micah 6.8, uh, he has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God, and to know what is 100% the right thing, and to look after your plot of land, and to uh, make sure that you've got um, everything you want for Christmas, and to, uh, you know, like, I don't know, like, what else do you want to add to that list? No, what, what, this is what the Lord has told you. What else does he require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is, there's simplicity in this, humility, embodying kindness, carrying that righteousness and justice with us. This is what we are called to. Why do I share all of this? Why am I taking you deep into like my own sort of, I don't know, theological messing, uh, my theological mess with the book of Amos, which seems to be the only thing God is taking me towards this year? I'm taking you towards it because I think that that uh, even though I, I, even though I don't think, like, isn't this like such a cop-out thing? I don't think I'm a bad person, right? <laughs> I don't think I'm a bad person. Man, I'm just so aware this year of just how much like injustice I've just let fester in, in myself. The number of times I've seen a Facebook status that, and I just think to myself, what a Muppet, you know? Who would write something like that? The number of times, you know, and this is not, this is not a high, as high a number, but the number of times I've actually replied and been like, how could you be so stupid, you know? Um, my feelings watching the news. My feelings towards other people. Wondering, like, how on earth could you vote for that person? Like, these are things I've let fester, and... When I start to treat people like that, and when I start to use words like that internally, most of the time, like, this is not external. I'm not, like, an aggressive person uh, or confrontational. But, but what I do is, in those moments, I deny someone their humanity or I rob them of it. And in doing so, I'm robbed of my own. And it has... It is just not good enough that we like, have had a year where people on either sides of a political spectrum call each other demonic. Just because there's different policies. God is not partisan. God is not encapsulated in any party's political values or in any political system, period. God's kingdom is transcendent of anything we build. There is no constitution, no monarchy, no anything that is, that is completely faithful and completely committed to serving 
that in entirety. There are other agendas and, and very human, very, yeah, very human ones at play. Very flawed, sometimes very ambitious, sometimes very altruistic, sometimes very genuine, but still nevertheless flawed. I didn't mean to make this super political, but, um, but I'm just so aware that because of the age we live in, it is, it is so common for us to get sucked into these things. And I think it is of not just detriment to other people, but significant detriment to ourselves. Significant detriment to myself when I let myself get sucked into those narratives. And those are narratives that are being fueled, fueled by the system around us. And all the while, income inequality widens, the gap between the rich and the poor widens. You know? Jeff Bezos made like how many trillions of dollars during the pandemic? Well, how many other millions of people have lost their jobs and are struggling to get by? And I just, uh, like, half the time I didn't know because I realized I'm lucky. I've, I've uh, you know, we've got food on the table. We've got a beautiful home. We've, you know, like, we're, we're great. And I was talking to someone the other day who, um, <clears throat> you know, works in a different community in Auckland, and they were like, 60% of the people that I work with have lost their jobs. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that happened, you know? I'm just so unaware it's like, I, I get it. I, I know cognitively it's there, but, but we're often, often it's really hard for it to, it to grip us at a heart level. And so the invitation is for us in both the microways and the macroways to move towards embodying God's justice and righteousness in all corners and all arenas of our lives. So... What does this mean? What does this all mean for us? Well, I think, I've been thinking a lot. You know, we're coming into the Advent season. And I'm just looking to wrap us up now. But, you know, we're coming into the Advent season. We're coming into the season of Christmas. Um, we're about to head into a year that is still filled with a lot of economic uncertainty, a lot of political uncertainty, a lot of social uncertainty. We still don't know how things are going to happen. Um, in my organization where I work, we're still planning for like, you know, like everything we do has to have a COVID-19 contingency, you know, like there's still the stresses that kind of come with that. There's a lot of uncertainty in the year ahead. And at the same time, we're still going to be in this, in this moment where um, uh, we're worried about like what we're going to get for Christmas. And, you know, that, that, uh, that materialism, I guess, will still, still have some sort of reign in some way, shape, or form. We're about to head into a time that, that really, as we consider Christmas, is going to be one of the most stressful moments uh, kind of in, in, in recent history, you know? Uh, I don't know what sort of uptake our Christmas shop will have, but in the back of my mind, I suspect it will be bigger than previous years because of the, the moment we find ourselves in. Um, injustice is worse this time this year than it was last year. These are things um, I think that are important for us to be aware of. I think it's important that as we engage in, um, engage in social media, we consider the things we are saying. We consider the people we're engaging with. We take a moment to pause and acknowledge their humanity, that even if they say or think or do something that we don't agree with, that 
that there is a whole story and there's a whole other thing at play that is informing uh, those decisions. And that actually maybe the richest thing we can do is, is actually ask the question, oh, like, could you tell me more? Not that they would change your mind, but that you might have more compassion for them. I wonder if there is something in that. Because I think that that there is a, a very real injustice at play and that there is a very real in wisdom in heeding the call of Amos some 2,800 years later, that there is something in this text for each one of us, or maybe just for me. But I wonder if there's something rich there for us. I want to close tonight just by, just by praying a benediction just by praying for you and praying for myself um, and just inviting God to be in the midst of it all. Um, Afterwards tonight, man, I'm so sorry if I just end up doing this like somber thing. I didn't mean to. You guys are like all with me. Everyone's so quiet. It's, yeah. It's like, oh man, I've I've just lulled you all into like, you know, a melancholic, something or other, oh, stupor, I don't know. <laughs> like, um, <clears throat> but, you know, hopefully there's something rich in it. Um, <clears throat> we actually love to celebrate in this church. Um, so after, after I've, I've prayed for us, we are going to celebrate something really good, and that is that Matt and Alice have got engaged. Did everyone know that? No? We can applaud. Yay! Because we love to celebrate. <laughs> oh, man. Calvin, pull it up, man. Pull it up. Up the vibe. <laughs> um, so one of the things we've, we've typically done when there is an engagement announced is we love to have a toast. So uh, we have, we've got some bubbly, um, both the non-alcoholic and alcoholic kind, depending which way you're inclined. And if you've taken anything from my message tonight, no judgment either way, right? <clears throat> Um, and we're going to raise a glass, and we're just going to have a moment together to celebrate something that is beautiful and good, and that is the impending marriage of these two um, beautiful souls. So we're going to do that. Um, But before we do that, I want to pray a little benediction over you. So um, maybe we'll stand. Let's, Let's stand for that. And that way I know who's sleeping. But yeah, why don't you just close your eyes and just let these words... Um, let these words take, take a hold in your heart. So as we head into this upcoming season, may you grow in your awareness of God's peaceful presence. May you recognize the moment to speak wisdom and peace into a situation of conflict. May you pursue justice in advocacy generosity and deed with the firm belief that in doing so, you are participating in revealing God's expanding kingdom. May you shut down slander and malice and extend a kindness to all, acknowledging that their humanity is breathed upon as divinely as yours. May you recognize Christ in the other And would it fill you with wonder or humility and gratitude? May the love of God be with you and in you all.
Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.